Welcome to your new money. I'm Brian Hirsch and our program this evening is focusing on estate planning. One of the main purposes for efficient estate planning is to ensure that wealth passes down one generation to the next. At the same time, correct planning is to safeguard in such a way that it continues to work for the beneficiaries. It is the place land out are once still alive if you simply leave assets in a will to the next generation then it's up to them to make good the investment process. And joining me this evening is Harry Joffe, Head of Legal Service of Discovery Life. Harry, good to have you on the show. Brian, good to be here, especially yeah. with Liverpool, seven points out of Man United. <laughs> yeah, Harry, you, you always look for an opportunity. So maybe I'm not going to give you an opportunity to answer a question that you'd love to answer about the Discovery Life plan, but we'll come there. Harry, big problem always, one generation builds up assets, the next generation actually loses it. Mm. And I know you don't want to rule from the grave, but what is your advice? Particularly, you know, it's difficult to educate younger people. It takes a lot of time, I mean, effort. So how do you protect yeah. that? I mean, Brian, the thing about ruling from the grave is actually a misnomer because you can control after you go. You know, there's nothing wrong with ruling from the grave, as they say, as long as you don't do it illegally. So in other words, you can't start saying to your children, you know, if you marry a certain person, then you're going to be cut out of the inheritance. That, that is unlawful and it's immoral in terms of public policy. But there's nothing wrong with saying, I leave my assets to trust. When my child turns 25, he gets a percentage. When he turns 30, he gets a percentage. I mean, we even had a client where the child had to turn 50 before they got any money out of the trust. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe 50 is pushing it a little bit far. But you can control the assets. And again, the best way to control assets is obviously through a trust. But then, Harry, if you're going to control assets through a trust, you've also got to make sure that you pick the right trustees. Exactly. And the big problem with trustees, you may pick people that are of a similar age to you, maybe in their 60s or 70s. Some years later, they're not, probably not going to be around. Well, I had a great case uh, last year when an individual came to see me. All his trustees had died, all three of them. So he had no trustees on his trust at all. And that's quite a complicated problem. But, I mean, the thing is, Brian, that the trust should be run through the trustees. So as long as you've got a well-structured, a well-thought-out trustee, and obviously you'd want at least one of the trustees that are younger than uh, the person setting up the trust, then that should endure into the next generation. Because those trustees then have the right to appoint other trustees. Exactly, and you can appoint it through your trustee. So, you know, you could have in the trustee after a trustee dies, they will look at that following group of individuals to replace them. So then talking about protection of assets, you've also got to protect assets from tax and taxes and, and estate duty. So one of the big ways, and this is the one you're going to love, I'm coming to, one of the ways people do it by creating liquidity through insurance policies. Yes. But insurance policies always form part of your South African estate. However, you've spoken on this program often about the discovery dollar life policy, which does not form part of your estate and also is linked to the value of the dollar. Right. So you get two benefits from creating one, no state duty, and two, probably over many years, a growing policy. Great. Thanks, Brian, for asking the question. So a couple of points here. So a normal South African policy, when the life assured dies, is what we call a deemed asset in the estate. And it's a deemed asset because it doesn't physically come into the estate. It obviously pays to a beneficiary outside the estate. That's the whole point of uh, most insurance policies. But by virtue of 33A of the Estate Duty Act, it's deemed to be an asset in the estate and it triggers estate duty. Now, in terms of 33A as well, only what we call a domestic policy can be a deemed asset. And a domestic policy is really a policy issued in South Africa and, or issued out of South Africa but paying back into South Africa. Now, Discovery is a fantastic dollar life product. Let me just say, Brian, it's the only insurance company in South Africa that offers it. has a structure where the policy is issued offshore through our Guernsey office. And as long as that policy pays offshore, 
In other words, it doesn't pay back into a South African account, but pays into an offshore bank account. Then it is not a deemed asset because it's not a domestic policy. And that takes it out of 3.3a of the State Duty Act. Of course, you'll be very careful not to nominate a local South African account. Because the minute it pays back into South Africa on a death, it becomes a deemed asset again because it's a domestic policy. And beneficiary could be the wife, children, a it trust. Could be anyone. Yes. So if you've got a local South African, as long as they've got a foreign bank account, that's fine. It'll pay into their foreign bank account. It could be a foreign trust. It can't be a local trust, of course, because a local trust can't hold foreign assets. But it could be a foreign trust, a foreign company, any foreign structure could be the beneficiary. Then, Harry, I mean, it, does, it, then it doesn't make sense to be buying life insurance in South Africa for, to protect and create liquidity in the event of death. I mean, it does make sense to be buying it offshore. But you've got to, obviously, the yes. trick is you've got to pay in dollars. Yes, so the way it works is we fund it through the 1 million rand travel allowance, or SDA, single discretionary allowance. So you, when you've used up the 1 million, then you've got to look at your tax clearance. So it's funded and pay through from offshore. In well, effect, from South Africa, but via dollar offshore accounts. Well, we're going to take a break. Unfortunately, our phone lines are down. We're still working on it and trying to get it sorted out. It's been down for a couple of weeks. You can still email me on brian at bdtv.ca.za. I'll be back shortly. Welcome back to New Money this evening. We're discussing estate planning. My guest is Harry Joffe. You can email me on brian at bdtv.co.za. Apologies, we're not taking calls this evening. Our lines are still down. Phyllis in Waverley says, does it make sense to close down a trust and distribute the assets, particularly where the assets of the trust are equal to the loan account in the trust? So that's a good question from Phyllis, uh, Brian, because... You know, so let's first explain it to many of our viewers. Yes, I mean, you don't way want you, a loan the, way you, the, the way you actually fund the trust is either by way of donation or a loan. Right. Now, they've and passed new laws, 7C, in term paragraph exactly. 7C, which creates certain tax implications exactly. for that loan in the trust. So paragraph 7C says if you don't charge interest on that loan at 7.5%, which is a deemed official rate, then that interest that you didn't charge triggers a donation and what you'll pay donation tax. So people don't want loan accounts anymore. You're trying to get rid of them. The problem is what Phyllis is saying, even if you, your assets are equal to the loan account, if you sell those assets in the trust to repay the loan account, you're going to have a capital gains consequence in the trust potentially. I'm not sure if there's any gain on those assets in the trust. If there's no gain on the assets in the trust, then you can sell them without capital gains tax, repay the loan. But then remember those assets will sit in Phyllis's estate and it will be an asset in her estate going forward. And all the future gains then will be in Exactly. In so she jumps there. out of one tax straight into another tax. If the assets, if she sells them, are going to trigger capital gains tax in the trust, then I wouldn't do it, because then you've got capital gains in the trust, remember at 36%, then the trust repays her, and then it's back in her estate. If there's no capital gains tax in the trust, so it's not costing the 36% trust uh, tax, then she could think about doing it. But then there's that uh, trade-off. She's getting rid of 7C and her donations tax problem, but she's creating an estate duty problem for herself. So I think the answer there, Brian, is... You need a lot more detail, a lot more info. She must go to a professional to, you know, to have a consultation. Harry, over the years, so many people have created trust but never put assets into the trust. At what level would you say, if you've got a trust with assets, would you say half a million, million rand, it doesn't really pay you any longer to even have that? Well, trust? the funny thing is, Brian, if your loan account against the trust is below 1.3 million, then 7.5% of 1.3 million comes to about 99,000 rand, 
which is below the 100,000 rand annual exemption, so you don't actually have a donations tax problem. So, you know, if it's very small, it's, it's probably not worth closing down the trust because you're not paying donations tax anyway. Although you pay every year now to audit the trust. And yes. The, the, in any other fees you yes. may have. Yes, again, it depends what your assets are, depends how big your assets are in relation to your state. You know, it depends on a lot of things. If you've got a child that needs looking after, then it might be worth keeping the trust. So it depends on the facts. Louise in Sanson says, can a husband transfer a property to his wife during his lifetime without paying transfer fees? Is there a difference on transfer on death? Yes. So let's go to the second part first. In terms of Section 9 of the Transfer Duty Act, if you transfer property to anyone on death, there's no transfer duty. So it doesn't have to be the spouse. It could be anyone. Um, if you transfer to a spouse while you're alive and it's because of a divorce order, then you wouldn't pay transfer duty. If it's not because of a divorce order, then it gets much trickier. He, he could well pay transfer duty. It depends on the facts. You know, that's the properties in a trust and being distributed to a spouse, they might not be transferred. Now, let's talk about simple, because I think, I think Phyllis's question was very simple. She asked, if, straightforward I, transfer, if I have your straightforward transfer. Then there could well be transfer duty. So, what do you mean there could well be? Well, there would be, because uh, unless it's, uh, as I say, through a trust, if it's a straightforward transfer, they're not getting divorced or anything like that, then there would be transfer duty. Harry, I saw, I saw a strange situation over the last few months. Um, husband transferred his share portfolio to his wife, and therefore not subject to CGT, between yes, husband the and wife. she sold it, and now she's going to pay capital gains tax at a much lower rate than her husband. Is that something that could... Well, no, that's a problem, because uh, as we were discussing a couple of weeks ago, Brian, section 7 brackets 2 then kicks in, and 7.2 says, if there's a transfer between spouses, so remember, as you correctly said, between spouses there's no CGT and there's no, there's no CGT on the transfer, there's no donations tax, of course, but 7.2 says, even if you make that transfer, and the sole or main purpose of that transfer is to avoid any tax. Then they take that tax back to the transferring spouse. In your case, it was a husband. 7-2 will bring that gain back into the husband's hands. But who determines whether it was done for that purpose? So, I mean, is there a period of time? No, the taxpayer's got to prove it wasn't done for that purpose. Remember, in all tax cases, the onus of proof is on the taxpayer. So SARS will pick it up. And they'll pick it up because you've actually got to disclose it on your tax return. They ask you, have you made a transfer in terms of Section 7? And the minute you disclose it on your tax return, then they're going to say 7.2 applies, and you would have to show them 7.2 doesn't apply. They don't have to prove it does. So it's quite a dangerous yeah, transaction there. Yeah. Devine in Santon says, what are the disadvantages to my husband if I only give him usufruct on the home rather than leave him the property? So let's, let's assume yes. full usufruct, the right to sell the property, use those proceeds to buy another property, if there's, any, if there's any gain on the first property versus the sale or the purchase of the yeah. new property, I mean, are there big, big, big disadvantages? So I must be honest, usufruct, remember, is old Roman Dutch law. So when we're dealing usufructs, it's a kind of law most people don't know how it really works. And I'll include myself in that because it's such an old-fashioned law. We don't use usufructs much anymore. It's really a holdover from the past. We use trusts now. So the disadvantage for the husband is, of course, he doesn't own the property. So assuming the use for left to him and the bare dominium, which is what's left over, bare ownership is left to the son, for example, then the husband can't sell the property. He can live in it. He can use the fruits of the property, so the sheep, uh, the cattle, the actual physical fruit, but he never owns that property. And that means uh, you know, he's got no rights. He can't. If he gets a good offer, he can't sell it. He's just really got the right if to If it's the wrong it. position, if he gets older. But can't you, can't you add into that that? particular clause that he has got the right to sell the property. But then it starts getting very tricky because he's not the owner. So the owner has to give permission to sell that property to see. And then it starts going, uh, who's got the, the overall right? 
The usufructory, as a rule, can't sell without the bare minimum's permission. So, in, 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 so the old system, you would be saying rather leave it to the other one spouse to another. Or I'd rather leave it to a trust. So if you want it not to be a full asset in the husband's estate, or maybe she doesn't trust her husband. Maybe, you know, the husband will get remarried and give the house to yeah, someone she else. She doesn't feel like a young wife. So then I would rather exactly, and that's quite understandable. So rather leave it to a trust. The husband can be a beneficiary of the trust, have the rights by virtue of being a beneficiary, but he's only a discretionary beneficiary, so he's got no real rights of ownership. And that's a much cleaner way of doing it. Uh, Benjamin in Cape Town says, can I pay back my loan account in my trust on the 1st of February each year and then reinstate in March? Will I save on donations? Okay, so I mean, people question. have been trying to do that. Yeah, all, all the accountants are trying to do that. So I must be honest, also not stupid. And if you look at the way 7C works, it's actually worked out per day, the interest that you should be charging. So basically, if you do that, pay back the loan on the 1st of February, reinstate on the 1st of March, you'll still pay... 7C on 11 months. You'll save 31 days, basically, of, of that. That's it. And, and are there a lot of other techniques being used at the moment to try and get around 7C? There are some. Remember, up until last year, people were trying to interpose companies, and you'd make the loan to the company, but that's been stopped now. All the legislation stopped all of that. So there's much more tricky and intricate schemes around preference shares, but those are very complicated. But you've got to, I mean, today, you've got to disclose everything. So you leave it to SARS to actually ask questions. Yes, exactly. And again, the, anything with a company, you've got to be very careful of because most of those company schemes have been stopped. Yeah. Merlin Rosebanks asked a few retirement questions, and these all relate, as I say, to retirement annuities or pension funds. How is an RA taxed on death? All right. So, nice question. So, let's assume mil, mom dies. Now, they're beneficiaries to the RA. Beneficiaries have got a choice. They can take a lump sum. In other words, they can take the full cash out of the RA on death. If they do that, then the tax is in the deceased estate on the retirement tables. If the beneficiaries choose to draw an annuity, so instead of taking the lump sum out of the RA, they draw an annuity, then there's no tax in the deceased estate, but they pay tax every month at their marginal rates. And of course, they can do a bit of both. But that's really the choice, and it's a very good question because beneficiaries shouldn't jump into this. They need to actually do the math and see. If they take a lump sum, what's the tax going to be? If they take an annuity, what's the tax going to be? And you know, a lot depends on what the deceased did in their lifetime. Because if the deceased retired and didn't use their 500,000 tax free, it might be worth the beneficiaries drawing a lump sum. Well, the other questions there, which we'll come back to after the break. We're going to take a short break. You're watching Union Money. We're not taking calls this evening. Our lines are down. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to Union Money. You've just joined us. We're talking estate planning this evening. My guest is Harry Joffe. I'm dealing with Merle's question. The second part of a question is, how is the living annuity taxed on death and what options do beneficiaries have? Right. It's very similar to the first question because, again, the same principles apply. If the beneficiaries draw the lump sum, then the tax... They can draw the lump sum. They can draw the lump sum. Then the tax is in the deceased estate on the retirement tables for the deceased. If they draw an annuity, then they pay the tax every month at their marginal rates. The difference is here is once the deceased is in a living annuity, they've obviously retired. So you've assumed once they've retired, they probably have used their 500,000 tax free amount. Well, 500 for starters, then the 200 the seven, and 18%. Correct. And so up, up they could have used the 4 million 50, yeah. which means they could be at 36%. So the living annuity, you've got to look more carefully because if they've retired and used that million 50 of uh, exemptions, 
Then if they draw the lump sum, it could be 36% tax, which is quite heavy. So living annuity, you've got to look at it more carefully. It might be better to draw the annuity and not the lump sum. But then it, can, it depends what the heirs want. They might want cash and want to invest it. Harry, just a question. Where, where would the beneficiary get all that information from? Would the, would the, would the retirement fund who's paying the living annuity have Not all always. that information? Not because it could have come from another company. So in other words, could have retired from just a company one and bought a living annuity from company two, which you're allowed to do. So then they wouldn't know. So you've got to basically go to the advisor and try to find out. The advisor that sold the living annuity, what was the tax when the living annuity was bought? And then the th her third part of the question is, what happens to an RA or retirement fund on divorce? Okay, so that's... Is, a, doesn't, that, doesn't that depend also on your marriage regime? Well, yes, it does. So let's look at RA first, because RA and living annuities are very different. If it's an RA and there's a divorce, assuming they're not married out of community of property with no accrual after 1 November 84. So those are the three requirements. If it's after 1 November 84, out of community, no accrual, then there's no claim against an RA, because then they're actually not sharing anything. But if it's one of the other kinds of marriages, you know, before 1 November 84, or after 1 November 84 with accrual, anything like that, or in community property, then the spouse does have a claim against the RA. And typically they get a 50% uh, claim, so if the husband's got a million rand in his RA, normally the ex-spouse to be would get 500,000. Again, it's not always, it depends on the facts. And then she's got a choice, she can take the cash, or she can preserve the money. In other words, go from RA to her RA, or from pension or provident fund to her preserver. Because the companies then w would allow that transfer to set up your own RA? Yes. Yeah. Now, the, the if you don't, if you take the cash, then she will pay tax at her withdrawal tables, which is quite penal. Because so, then 24, the first 25,000 is tax free. Now, once she takes the cash, it has no impact on the remaining amount for the other spouse? No. So she takes her half a million, she pays the tax, his half a million stays in the RA, and of course, there's no tax, and he can't withdraw the money. Only she can withdraw it. Harry, I mean, th they could set up other assets against that. Yes. I mean, let's assume the, the total assets were five million, of which one million were in the RA, exactly. two and a half million each half from the RA, could say, well, I'll give you other assets and, exactly. and just leave my pension. Much simpler. Yeah. And if you do it by way of divorce agreement, you must make sure that the wording is correct exactly. and the insurance company is notified correctly so that there's a tie-up. Exactly. So the divorce order must be worded exactly, must mention the fund, must mention the details of the fund, normally the registration number, and it must be served on the actual fund so it's noted in their records that they have to pay out as well. So that's RA. Sorry, living annuity, part two of the question, of Mill's question. Living annuity is actually very different to an RA, funny, because the Divorce Act, Section 7 of the Divorce Act, which allows an ex-spouse to be to claim against an RA, pension, provident or preserver does not apply to a living annuity. So in effect with divorce... Even if you're married in a with accrual? Yes. So in effect with divorce and a living annuity, the ex-spouse-to-be would have no claim against the capital in that living annuity. If she's got a maintenance claim, she can claim against the income against that living annuity, but no claim against the capital. It's one of the gaps in the law. So Harry, if, if, if I, I'm at retirement, I may be getting divorced and know that my divorce is coming, I retire, take the living annuity, I've actually excluded that from yes. accrual. I mean, a living annuity in that way is better than a trust. It actually almost insulates the capital that can't be attacked. I mean, I would say there's nothing wrong with that, as long as divorce proceedings haven't started. You know, if divorce proceedings have started, then there could well be interdicts and funny things to stop you. But if divorce proceedings haven't started, there's no reason why you can't do that. As long as you've hit retirement age, you're entitled to retire, you're entitled to use a living annuity, that's it, and then the law follows. Mark in Kempton Park says, what is the best investment for a trust to invest in for long-term growth? Now, that's where, that's where an endowment yes. policy plays quite a big part, isn't it? So, uh, that's a very good question because, you see, often your beneficiaries are very different. So, we've had a few trusts where the youngest kid was two and the oldest kid was 30. 
Now, the 30-year-old wants income, of course, because they want to start living. The two-year-old needs capital growth, not income at that stage. And you could have a real conflict there within the trust. So that's why it might make sense to have separate trusts for different beneficiaries if they're vastly different ages. But endowment policy makes a lot of sense because there's no tax in the trust if it holds an endowment policy. All the tax is inside the policy itself at the normal Much lower rate rates. to what you pay in the trust. Exactly. You, what rate do you pay in, in the trust tax rate? So 30% income tax and 12% CGT. That's, in, that's an endowment policy. Endowment policy. And normally the... the, the, the in a trust, you normally pay 45% flat. That's a house rate of tax. Exactly. Without any rebates. So an endowment makes a lot of sense because you're wrapping the tax into the policy as opposed to in the trust. Harry, when people leave assets to children in, in trusts, do you, su do you suggest that each child has their own trust or one globular trust? So it depends a lot on the facts, Brian. It's a very tricky case, that, because let's assume the children are vastly different ages. Well, that's what you said. Then you would need separate 30. trusts. Yeah. If the children are the same ages but don't get on, then you'd want separate trusts as well. If one of the children is below 18 and the other is above 18, you might be able to use a special trust if it's a testamentary trust. You know, so there's a lot of factors to look at. If all things are equal, you know, I've got three kids, very similar ages, they all get on, then one trust is much simpler. But there could be other factors which come into play. Luke in Rambo says, can you use the 100,000 donation against a loan account in the trust? Can I split the loan account between myself and my wife so that we both get the donation? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. So the first part of the question, yes, you can. So if you've got a donation of a million rand, uh, loan of a million rand against your trust, every year you can reduce it by the 100,000 rand. But now if you've got a donation, uh, a loan of, let's say, 3 million rand against the trust, you know Paris 7C is going to kick in, right, because it's going to make you charge interest. So you give your spouse 1.5 1, 1. and you keep 1.5. And that, of course, brings down the taxes or the interest you've got to charge. So there you run the risk, as we said, that Paris 7.2 kicks in. And they could start bringing the tax back to you because you're trying to avoid tax. So you just have to be careful about splitting those loan accounts. Last question of the evening. Vernon Johannesburg says, can I sell my property in Johannesburg to my son at a reduced price? What are the tax dangers? Right, so again, in terms of donations tax, section, I think it's section 58, I'm just working at the top of my head, that if you sell an asset for a value which SARS considers inadequate, SARS can adjust that value, charge, uh, you know, deem it to be a different value and charge your donations tax on the difference. So you'll be very careful before you're doing that because they will look, you know, obviously the father and son are connected persons, they will definitely look for the correct value there. And of course, when you pay transfer duty, the conveyancing attorney will look straight away for the correct value. So that's a very dangerous ploy to play. Well, you can never anticipate what the future holds. You can ensure that your loved ones are taken care of long after you've passed on. The concept and advice behind estate planning is to help you make the right choices about securing the financial well-being of those left behind. It is important that you have access to all the right service providers. They need to be well-equipped to give you the best possible advice in the aspects of drafting wills and trusts. While you may think estate planning takes a long time once you've done your initial plan, it's not difficult to review on a regular basis. Harry, I'd like to thank you for joining me this evening. Lovely to be with you, Brian. It's important to note our program tonight is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week's program will be once again focusing on the short-term insurance section. And if you need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. I'd like to thank you for watching and good night.